You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. everybody to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com alongside my, my co-host, my, let's see, co-producer, co-founder, <laughs> more importantly, uh, 1995 World Series champion, runner-up rookie of the year, right? I got that right? Yep. Okay. And current director of Braves alumni relations, Greg McMichael. Great. Thanks, Ricky. Yeah. Good to be here. This has uh, been a lot of fun. It's a, a, a neat project I think that the fans are going to love. And it's great uh, getting to do, getting to know you and and uh, enjoy working on this together. You and I both separately, without knowing it, uh, the last couple seasons, have wanted to kind of put together a podcast for the Braves, and then, lo and behold, earlier this summer we were we were kind of put together by a mutual party, and we started kicking around some ideas, and now here we are. And as we're recording this today. We've now done, what, five, six interviews already. Some really exciting stuff that the fans are going to hear in the coming weeks. And this is not just going to be a short-term thing. This is something we hope to keep going for a very long time. And uh, we've got some great guests coming out of the box, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm real excited about what's going on, obviously, with our rich tradition of winning and this great organization. We have a lot to choose from. We certainly do. So from Hank Aaron to uh, John Smoltz and – Chipper Jones and uh, Terry Pendleton. I mean, there's all kinds of guys. We, we I think we have plenty of material yep. and plenty of guests. Uh, Lord willing that the that the alumni want to come on and have a good time. And then hopefully we're going to bring in some current players mm-hmm. and then try to pair up some guys, which I think would be really interesting conversation with um, the guys who are playing today versus the guys who came before them. And you know, the alumni obviously are near and dear to my heart because I work with them on a daily basis. We have over 65 guys here in the Atlanta area. There's about 250 that we're working with nationwide. The guys receive a newsletter from us. They come to alumni weekends. They're involved in fantasy camp, alumni Sundays. So we have those guys here, but we don't always get to talk to them. And the fans don't get to hear them. They get to see them, but they don't get to hear from them, which I think this is what makes uh, what we're doing special is that we're going to be able to have conversations with guys that have been removed from the game one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, and find out what they're doing and find out their perspective on today's game, their perspective on today's team. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and in the five or six interviews we've done so far, we've to, to your point, we've already had some guys from different eras. I mean, we interviewed Rico Cardi, which was, for me, and that's not going to be this first episode, but that's going to be coming up a little bit later. For me, that was an eye-opening thing because I've, you know, I've heard the name, grew up a Braves fan, but he was before my time. So just getting to know him and hear his stories was amazing. And then by the same token, our guest today for our first episode is a guy I did grow up watching, and along with you, uh, Tom Glavin. So, and I think he's a great, great guy to kick off our show with he's he's 
everybody in Braves country knows him and loves him, and we see him now on the, on the Braves broadcast, and he's just an interesting guy because even, you know, since he's retired, he's kind of had his hand in a little bit of everything, be it front office, broadcasting, potential ownership. Uh, as sure. he'll talk, You're going to hear about mm-hmm. that today, and maybe that's something that he'll be in in the future. But just talk a little bit about – uh, your relationship with Tom and, and being his teammate back in the day. Well, Tom is is has kind of evolved uh, in his after playing days, and he, uh, as a pitcher, watching him and as a as a teammate, you know, I had one perspective. But then getting to know him and being involved with uh, <clears throat> him outside of his playing days, there's been a little shift, and I think people probably since his personality that's coming out as a broadcaster. He's been involved. I mean, you hear him doing commercials, obviously getting inducted to the Major League Hall of Fame. So Tom has, has changed a little bit, and, and I really like who he's become. I, I see his personality coming out. I think his personality was always there, but he was very businesslike mm-hmm. as a teammate, even though he, he was a great teammate because he was a leader in the clubhouse. He obviously did a lot for us during the strike. I think the fans viewed that as negative, but as a teammate, he really was looking out for the interest uh, of our, you know, our best interest because he kept us informed. He was not only in the negotiations, but he was on the leadership team of the Players Association. So I'm, I appreciate him because he would call me and tell me what's going on. He would, you know, we would have conference calls and that kind of stuff. But I know he got a bad rap because, you know, there was at the time the players were viewed as, as the owners liked it, at the t- you know, that we were greedy and that we are. But we made some significant changes and there were a lot of good things that came out of the strike. But then since those days, you know, Tom had to kind of rebuild his reputation from the fans' perspective, and then obviously going to the Hall of Fame is great. And then being involved as a broadcaster, I think he's done a great job seeing him even evolve as a, as a broadcaster. I think he's, and he would agree with this, he's so much better today, and I think he brings a lot to our broadcast. So it's been fun to watch. He's great for us because he's involved in what we're doing. He comes to Alumni Sundays. He's involved in Alumni Weekend. He's been at he's been at um, fantasy camp. So Tom has, has been very engaged in what we're doing from an alumni perspective, and and we very much appreciate it. Yeah, we had a great talk with him down in the Braves Alumni Lounge here at SunTrust Park. And to your point, Greg, I mean he's got a great personality. He's he's a family man. You're going to hear him talk about that a little bit today. And, you know, when he's on the broadcast, you know, I'll see him just walking through the halls in the press box or down in the cafeteria or wherever, and he's just as friendly and nice of a guy as you hope he would be. And so I I think you all are going to enjoy hearing from Tom today. A quick note about uh, our interview. This was recorded in late August, just before the, uh, the calendar turned to September. So the Braves hadn't quite yet clinched the division yet. Thankfully they did. But you'll you'll hear uh, in this interview that, uh, you know, there was – he was cautiously optimistic about the, the Braves clinching the division, and thankfully they proved him true. So, anyways, looking forward to uh, to having you all with us as we embark on this new journey that is behind the Braves. And without further ado, here's Tom Glavin. That should end it. Justice and Wright makes the catch. A brilliant performance by Tom Glavin in Game 1 of the World Series. Well, glad. Appreciate you being here with us, um, Ricky. And I've spent some time just thinking about um, the alumni and what what things we would want to know as a fan. Being being here and talking with you for a little while, we could obviously go through 
you know, 10 All-Stars, World Series champ, Silver Slugger, Cy Young Award winner twice, you know, 95 World Series MVP. But, you know, we know all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it's still nice to hear. But, yeah, we've (laughs) we've heard all that. We've heard all that. But I do – one thing I was really thinking about being in a similar stage of life as you is that um, I've had three kids leave the house this past year, and I still have one in college, and you've had, obviously, um, two leave the house somewhat, and you've got your son pitching down at Auburn. And I'm just curious to know how you feel as a parent, you know, this, this stage of parenting, how it's been different for you. And, and you got really two levels. You've got a college athlete that now you're trying to encourage. And, and you know, he may have a career, he may not, but he's in a college career right now. How are you handling that as a, as a parent? And then how are you handling just his first time being out on his own? Yeah, I mean, it, it's um – you know, it's funny that the dynamic of of being a parent, as you know, uh, changes. I don't know if drastically is the right word, but it it, it changes. Um, you know, and and I know for us, for my wife and I, we're certainly going through that adjustment period where, um, you know, we went from having uh, seven of us in the house uh, to now we're down to four, and you know, it's a big adjustment. And you know, we're kind of going through the same, um, I guess questions and struggles in life so to speak as everybody else at this stage of the game where you know you're starting to thinking about all right well we don't need this big house anymore we need to downsize we need to do all that stuff so you know our our life is no different than most people in that regard and and you know it's been um it's been an adjustment uh getting used to not having you know everybody there you go to dinner now and it's a reservation for four instead of a (laughs) reservation for seven and uh so it's uh it's different but you know it's fun it's exciting and and I think for me it's probably a little bit different than it is for my wife because you know for my wife um you know the little the little cubs are leaving and and Mm. she doesn't like that Mm, right and and I'm not saying I do like it but I think having gone through what I went through as a baseball player where I left home at 18 years old and went to do something that I wanted to do. Um, that was an unbelievably exciting opportunity. Um, and, and I think I look at what my kids are doing as that same opportunity for them and, and focus less on, oh, they're leaving, I'm going to miss them, and this isn't going to be the same. So um, I've tried to handle it that way. And, and you know, it was tough. Uh, it, it was funny. The first two going out, Amber and Jonathan, when they went out, it was – it was hard, you know, it was a little, maybe, and I say this with all due respect, but um, it was probably a little bit easier sending Jonathan out the door because as a teenage boy, it's kind of like, dude, get out of here. You need to, you need to go away for a little while. Um, but my daughter was, you know, a little bit maybe different in that regard, but it's amazing that the next thing you know, it's like you've snapped your fingers and they're graduating. And then here goes Peyton to Auburn. And, um, and then, you know, Mason's a senior now, and then we've got our fourth grader, Keenan, but um it's crazy how it all goes so fast but um you know as far as the it it has been different you know with Jonathan and Amber it was mostly the support of you're at school what do you need you're trying to encourage you know stay out of trouble have good grades do all that stuff um and with Peyton it's a little bit more because yeah you're it's all those same encouragements do well stay out of trouble but you know, then you're also having to talk through the ups and downs of playing baseball or playing a college sport. And, you know, there are ups and downs, and um, particularly as a freshman. 
So, you know, it's been a um, – I don't want – you know, it's not not been a trying year or anything like that, but it's, um, you know, it's it's just funny how you have kids that are that all grow up in the same environment and how different their needs are uh, in terms of what they need from you as a parent. That is so true. Very much. So is – now, w- with Peyton, when, you're, when you talk baseball with him, is that something – do you find yourself reaching out to him to give that advice, or are you pretty much you wait for him to come to you for it? Um, I kind of wait for him to ask me, but I'm I'm not shy about um, you know sending a text and saying hey how you doing you know or hey what'd you guys do today at practice or you know I'm kind of big on that you know I'm not I'm not one of these guys that and and I'm and I'm admittedly I'm bad at it with my own parents, but you know, I'm not the pick up the phone guy every day, you know, I mean, I just, I don't, and, and I guess I don't expect my kids to do it either, but, you know, I like that once a week, hey, maybe give me a call, or at least shoot me a text, let me know everything's okay, because they're really good as, you know, about when they need money, uh, they're, you know, they're right there, it's Johnny yeah. on the spot, but, you know, if things are going well, you might not hear from them for two weeks, but, um, you know, I'm not shy, like I say, about, hey, how you doing, what are you guys doing at practice, or what's going on, that kind of thing, and then, um you know, he's to his credit, he's pretty good that if he's if he's got something on his mind baseball wise that he doesn't like or that he's struggling dealing with, whether it's not performing or not playing as much as he would like to, whatever it is, he's pretty good about picking up the phone and and, and asking for advice. And it and it's usually, you know, for me to just get him to understand that it's like you said a, a minute ago, it's a long road. You know, he may he may get to play professionally when he gets out of college. He may not. Um, you know, I know so many kids talk about, and parents, uh, oh, I want to play at the next level, I want to play at the next level, and I think they all are insinuating professionally. But for a lot of people, the next level might be high school, it might be college. And, you know, there's not a lot of guys that play Division One college sport. So, um, you know, it's just kind of that encouragement of, hey, this is not easy. Um, most freshmen have gone through struggles similar to what you go through. Um, I'm fortunate that I have my brothers coaching uh, up at Northeastern. So um, there's quite honestly some things that I can't relate to because I didn't go to college. And it's great for me to be able to say, hey, call Uncle Mike and and see how he deals with his freshmen, see what he sees out of his freshmen. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of times he's going, he's gone through pretty much what most freshmen do with the adjustment to not only school but trying to learn how to juggle everything and play a sport. Yeah, I don't know if many people realize that your brother was coaching, and I've heard he's done a great job. At one point last year, weren't they ranked uh, in the top ten in the nation? Uh, they were ranked pretty high for them for a while. I know I don't know if it was top ten, but I think they were in the top twenty. And you know, they played a really tough schedule, and and that's you know something that he's really been adamant about doing up there. Because look, it's hard obviously to get kids to go there. Um, you know, you're not going to get kids from down here to go play baseball up in the north. I mean, it's just you know, it's just not going to happen for the most part. You'll get some here and there, but, you know, they all want to stay here and play in the SEC or the ACC, and who can blame them? Um, so he's kind of picking up the scraps a little bit, but um, I think he's done a really good job of recruiting in New England, but he's done a really good job of, of playing a tough schedule and, and getting these kids in front of people and getting them in front of uh, really good programs and showing them that, hey, you know, we can play with these guys, you know, and, and – um, yeah, he, got, he was coach of the year last year and, and uh, got them to a regional for the first time as an at-large bid, I think maybe in the program's history. So uh, he's done a nice job up there. But like I said, as, as a parent, for me, it's nice to be able to say, you know, hey, call your uncle and, and see, you know, see what he's seen and what he, what he would expect you to be 
as a coach when you come back to Auburn in September to start your sophomore year, uh, and a lot of that's been very helpful. So now, did you coach your kids baseball and hockey when they were younger? Are you still doing any coaching with them, or are they all all older now? I I coached hockey. Um, I stayed away from baseball until Peyton got to be about 14, 15 years old. And, and, you know, for me, hockey was always a huge love of mine growing up as a kid. I mean, I love baseball too, but if you'd asked me when I was 14 years old, I probably liked hockey more than I liked baseball. Um, So that's always been a big thing for me, and and I I think – more than anything else, it's just that ability, if you, as a, as a dad, if you have the ability to coach a team and, and not just daddy coach, you actually kind of know what you're talking about and you know what you're doing. Um, it was something that for me I always wanted to try and do because you have some control over what's going on, you know, and, and mostly the scheduling. You know, I think uh, the, two, the thing that I've always feared the most down here with travel hockey and travel baseball is just the, is the unbelievable amount of games these kids are playing. And I felt like coaching a little bit, I could control that. Uh, wouldn't be one of those teams that, uh, you know, we're going to play 100 games in hockey and travel all over the world and, and spend twenty five or $30,000, which you can do real easily down here because you, tra- you play travel hockey down here, you're traveling. So it's not like travel baseball where you can play – 100 games and never go 25 miles. I mean, it's it's different. Um, you were up in Canada and oh, we places. were everywhere. We've been every we were everywhere. With my boys playing hockey. So I mean, it was and it was great. You know, I, I mean, it. You know, the other the as, other aspect of it was, you know, you don't when they start to get older, as you know, you don't get that one on one time very much because they're with their friends, they're doing their stuff, and you're kind of you as a parent, as I've always, as I've kind of talked about the transitioning of parent, you're going from that you hung the moon to you're a moron, you don't know what you're talking about, you know. So to be able to travel with them and just spend that one-on-one time uh, when we were going to hockey tournaments or going to baseball tournaments, uh, that was a blast. But, um, you know, the baseball, I stayed out of it until uh, Peyton got to be, like I said, that 14-year, 15-year-old where I was really concerned about okay, how many games are we playing, and how much are you pitching and doing all that stuff. So at least I had a little bit, of, little bit of control over. Did that. they know you played? Uh, I think most of them did. Some <laughs> of them, you know, it's funny. One, uh, there's one boy that played with Peyton uh, a couple years ago, and uh, he actually was a, a pretty high draft pick of the Phillies and is doing pretty well. And and he was on Peyton's team and. Uh, you know, I wasn't an official coach at that time on that team, but I was helping out a little bit. Um, I had stepped back a little and let a couple other guys do it because Peyton was getting to that age where, you, you know, colleges are starting to look at him. And I, and I just wanted to be – I didn't want to be that dad that was accused of pushing his own kids, so I kind of stepped up, stepped away a little bit, and, and I would help. So the guy who was coaching um, said, hey, will you spend some time with this boy in the bullpen and, and work on his changeup or whatever? And, and so I said, sure. So we spent about 30 minutes in the bullpen and we were talking and whatever. And, and, and uh, my Peyton was telling me that <laughs> he, uh, he went back to the bench after and they're like, he said to a couple of the guys, he says, who was that guy? He seems to know an awful lot about pitching. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you know, so Peyton was like, dude, that's my dad, you know. And then it was like, that was the first time he put two and two together. They glad and glad. She's like, oh. <laughs> so it was pretty oh, funny. He does know a little bit. <laughs> well, being, being somebody that, I mean, you excelled at the highest level of your sport and then you excelled as, as a 
growing up in hockey too. You were drafted in hockey. When you were coaching, did was it ever hard to temper your expectations of of your kids that you were coaching? Mm, yes, but I think they knew that I, you know, I, I think they they took the brunt of whatever my frustrations were with everybody else, which is hard. Um, and that and that's always something you have to be mindful of. But I mean, I would have conversations with them. You know, if I had a game or a practice or a situation where something happened that I didn't like that the team was doing and I kind of took it out on them, um, if it if in my mind I felt like, oh, man, I mean, I, maybe I went a little bit too far with that one or I was a little too harsh, I would, you know, I'd say, hey, you know why I did that? And they're like, yeah, Dad, we know, I understand. And so they were, they were good about it, but um, it does get tough because you're, you know, you – I think when you're, when you're coaching – uh, particularly when your kid's involved, you're you're always accused of favoring your own kid and this and that. And, and I think that, you know, more than anything, I try to go out of the way to, to be probably harder on my kids to try and disprove that. But uh, I just, no matter what you do, I think there's always there's always some of that hanging around. Yeah, so I would, you know, shift gears just a little bit um, and appreciate you sharing that. I know that uh, being a parent to adult children is something that's really different for me then that's really changed my perspective I never never realized what that was going to be like I never envisioned myself so I appreciate you sharing that but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask a little bit about um, your current career which is broadcasting and your perspective of the game a little bit I know we could go on for hours and you and I've stood on the driving ranges and, <laughs> and talked about pitching and that's always and, and we're, we're not any different than most alumni love talking about the game because we would have to admit it is different today than when we were playing doesn't mean it's better doesn't mean it's worse it's just different so you have to accept it for what it is but I, I did want to uh, ask you two things um, uh, number one obviously you and I both we made our living with the change up and it's something that we've spent a lot of time talking about do you think in today's game that that's kind of a lost art that would be first question and what you just kind of think about. And then um, uh, the second would be, why was it such a great pitch or why is it such a great pitch and it's so hard to hit? So, so. Yeah, first part of the question, um, is it a lost art? Yes. Um, why is it a lost art? I think it's a lost art because so much emphasis is put on power in today's game um, that, 90% of the guys who are here, it, it's everything's about power. So what's what's your power off-speed pitch? A slider, right? Or 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 a power or a power curveball. You know the the maybe not the Clayton Kershaw 12 to six with some big snap, but you know e everything is thrown hard. Um, and I think because of that, pitchers in today's game have a really hard time with the concept of take something off the ball. Um, you know, the, to them, that's kind of a foreign thing, you know, and in, in, in our day and, and, you know, you were a part of it as well. Um, I think one of the greatest things that I learned was spending time with Leo Mazzoni was getting on the mound, throwing more often and learning how to get some feel on your pitches. Um, they don't do that anymore. You know, I, I think if you watch, if you were to watch guys on a daily basis, you see a lot of guys go out in the outfield and it's flat ground and it's throw everything as hard as you can. They get in the bullpen and it's the same thing. They have to throw the ball hard. They have to throw their fastball hard to make it do anything that they want it to do. They have to throw their breaking balls hard to make it break. 
that's the complete opposite of kind of what we did. You know, we learned how to how to throw a pitch at 50 or 60% effort level, still get the same spin, still get the same movement we were looking for, but not at a max effort thing. So now when you go into a game, it's a heck of a lot easier to do it when you're pitching at, you know, 90, 95% effort level, whatever it is. So um, I think that's a big reason why it's been lost in today's game is just everything is power, 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 and, and the changeup is not a power pitch. And it's very counterintuitive to what these guys are, are thinking about most of the time uh, when they start thinking about, okay, well, i got to take something off. Um, and and it's, it's a difficult thing for them to grasp, and it's a really hard thing for them to grasp physically. Now, when you have a guy that has a good one, as you know, what makes it good? Well, it looks everything like your fastball. Um, and, you know, when you can stand on that mound and and have a hitter think everything in his brain is telling him, here comes a fastball, and he swings at a fastball, and it's six, eight, ten miles an hour slower than what he was thinking, you can make a lot of guys look silly, and you can get a lot of easy outs. You can get a lot of bad contact. Um, but that's the key, you know, and I know even for me as a young pitcher, I struggled with my changeup. Um, and it wasn't until I came up with a grip that I was really comfortable with that I knew, hey, I can stand on the mound and I can try to throw this as hard as I want. It's just not coming out. It's going to be 8 to 10 miles an hour slower than my fastball, and, and that was that. A lot of guys don't have that. They struggle with getting a grip that they're comfortable with, so then they feel like they have to manipulate the ball even more, uh, and it just becomes a bad combination. But, yeah, you, you give me a guy who can locate his fastball and a guy who can – locate a good changeup and I'll show you a guy that's going to over time is going to be successful I think more so than a guy who is a power guy that relies on a power breaking ball as a secondary pitch well with all of the young Braves pitching we have now we're finally starting to get to see some of these guys make their debuts and I mean it's just as we're recording this we've just recently seen Tukey Toussaint make his debut Bryce Wilson was very impressive who which of these guys that you've seen so far are you most impressed with or that you like man I just I can't wait to see that guy make his next start well I will say that I, I really I, I really have liked the progress that that Fulte and Newcomb have made this year um, you know still still some ways to go um, I think particularly for the both of those guys you know to me the next big jump for them is the efficiency side of things you know they, they they're good enough they've got enough stuff um, and, and, and a decent enough command that they should be able to start getting into the seventh and eighth inning in games, throwing 100, 110 pitches, not the fifth inning or the sixth inning. Uh, and that's just learning how to be more efficient. That's learning, and, and by being more efficient, it's, you know, you recognize when a guy's standing in the batter's box and he's going to swing first pitch or he's a really aggressive guy, okay, you're looking for a fastball. Here's a fastball that you can't really do anything with. Not here's a fastball down the middle and I'm going to throw it by you and get a swing and a miss. It's here's a fastball that's going to be, you know, down in the zone, and if you want to swing at it, go ahead. You're going to hit a ground ball. You can't do anything with it. Okay, well, there's one pitch, one out. Or, hey, I got two strikes on you. Okay, I might take a shot at at that, you know, proverbial waste pitch and, and not in the sense that, okay, I'm throwing a pitch that serves no purpose. It's nowhere near the plate. I'm throwing a pitch that I'm, that's going to be enticing enough that I want you to hopefully chase it, whether it's a slider in the dirt or fastball up in the zone, which has become a big part of, of what the Braves are doing now. Um, but something that you might swing at it, but if you miss, it's going to set up something that I want, I want to do next, and I'm striking you out on the next pitch, or I'm getting you out on the next pitch. This is not going to get to three and two. 
which I think you see a lot of with our younger guys. It's like one minute it's 0-2, the next minute it's 3-2. and Well, you do that four or five times a game, there, there's another 30 pitches, you know. So that, it's that little, that little stuff that, um, you know, I think they'll get better at. And, and, look, again, for me, I know that was – that was something that I – one of the big things I learned from, from Greg Maddox when Greg came over here. You know, Greg's mentality was, okay, I got two strikes on you. You're out. I'm being done with you, and I'm moving on to the next guy. Um, and, and it's just that mentality of, of recognizing that you got a guy where you want him. He's on the defensive. Now you put him away, move on to the next guy, and the more often you can do that, the more efficient you're going to be. So I think they'll make those strides as, as they continue on. But, you know, some of the younger guys, I mean, I love Soroka. Um, you know, it's unfortunate for him that uh, he's been uh, dinged up for a while now, and, and hopefully it's nothing major. But, you know, in terms of a 20-year-old kid with, with the stuff that he has, but the makeup he has climbing out on that mound, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so I love him. And then, you know, short glimpses, you know, I think Kobe Allard has some things to work with, but obviously he's got to refine uh, command a little bit. And, and I think he is a perfect example of a guy that if he can come up with a changeup, Got a chance to be a lot more successful. Uh, Wilson was extremely impressive. Again, stuff aside, his demeanor on the mound, <laughs> it was fantastic. You know, yeah, and his, then his command. Oh was yeah, outstanding. I mean, uh, out of great. all the guys, yeah, he he showed initially his yeah. command was top notch. Yeah, he was not afraid of being in the strike zone, mm-hmm. which you know, no. easier said than done when you're a sure. young kid on the road. Yeah, first first <laughs> first game. Um, but yeah, but Tukey, I really like Tukey too. I know he was. Um, you know, I've got some friends that uh, are in the Arizona uh, organization, and when that trade went down, um, there were some folks over there that were adamant that Tukey was not going to be included in that trade, and I think you're starting to see the reasons why. He's he's starting to figure it out a little bit. That's good. Well, we um, obviously were here getting ready to approach September, dog days of summer, but the team has continued to play well, and I don't think – we're running away with the division. I don't think anybody else is going to run away with it. But we have consistently not had too big of a valley and not too big of a peak. We've been pretty consistent. I think you're seeing the team. So I think a lot of us around here are getting ex- excited about the playoffs. I think we might be in here for the first time in a while. What do you see from this team that uh, that gets you excited that we potentially could be October 1st? We're right there in the middle sure. of it. You know, it's funny. I think this team, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways is reminiscent of the 91 team that, that I was on. Um, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to go to the World Series or anything like that. I think what you're what you're seeing is a team that doing what they're doing now, realistically, depending on who you talk to, they're, they're a year or two ahead of what everybody thought, uh, which is the same thing that happened with us in 91. We, we were no stretch of the imagination went into spring training thinking we were going to be vying for our division. We just wanted to try and get the 500. Well, next thing you know, some a lot of the younger guys, myself included, kind of started to figure some things out probably a couple of years sooner than everybody thought, and and here we were. And, and I see a lot of that in this team. I think this team coming into spring training, and, and I right there with most people would have said they're they're probably two years away from being a team that is seriously going to contend for their for their division. Now, they're they're better. But they're seriously probably two years away from being a serious contender. Well, the next thing you know, you know, Ozzy Albies uh, has, is unbelievable. You know, Acuna has been great since he's gotten here. You see the progress that Fulte and Nuke have made. Um, and, and then here you go. Now you are where you are. And, and you know, that that's the big reason why is these guys 
I think have figured it out a little bit sooner than, than most people thought they were going to. But, um, I, you know, there were times this year where I thought, well, you know, Washington's probably still the team to beat, you know, and then maybe Philadelphia. But like you said, the Braves just they don't go away. Um, and, and it has really been a, a steady-as-you-go kind of year. You know, they haven't had many losing streaks um, of more than four games. Um, you know, they've had a couple of good winning streaks. But, you know, it's kind of been and, – and when you hear Snit talk, um, it's very similar to a lot of the things you used to hear out of Bobby. Just win a series. Win every series. If you win every series, at the end of the year, you're going to be the team standing in your division. Um, and I think that keeps the guys from – from having those peaks and valleys, and, and particularly when you got a, a lot of young guys on your team that are contributing and 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 haven't been through this, right? You really have to keep it simple. Uh, focus on the series at hand, not this home stand or not where are we going on the road. It's here's who we're playing, and if we keep winning two out of three, then then we're going to be great. And I think Snit's done a great job of keeping the guys focused on that. And you know, and then you throw in the veteran guys. I mean, the leadership of Freddie and 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 Nick has just been, and the steadiness of those guys. Uh, has just been unbelievable all year long, and, and Tyler and, and uh, Kurt doing a great job handling that pitching staff. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things to be excited about. Um, you know, I, I I think I don't want to jinx anybody, but you know, I'm of the mindset now. This is their division to lose. I, I yeah, just you know, I Philly. Agree. I agree. Philly is not the team that that we thought they were. Washington just seemed can't seem to get out of their own way, uh, and the Braves just keep plugging along. Now we're. Where do they stack up against the rest of the National League or, or potentially a World Series? Uh, you know, I don't know. I hope we find out, and I think we're going to find out. So you've, you've been a special assistant to the front office. You've, you're doing the broadcasting. Uh, of course, your time in the Players Union. I'm, I'm just wondering, is, do you ever see a future for yourself uh, as a full-time role in a front office somewhere? Or at this point, do you think is that – you just haven't. Are you enjoying what you're doing a little too much for that? Um, yes, on both occasions. Uh, you know, I, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Um, you know, when I first got out, I, I did a little bit of front office stuff, and I enjoyed what I did. Um, you know, and, and it kind of was one of those things where I was doing the front office stuff, um, and then the broadcasting went from doing you know Sunday home games, which is 13 games, to hey, can you do more games? You know, I guess they liked what I was doing, so they wanted me to do more games. So trying to juggle the two between going to see minor league teams and then, you know, doing games, it was like, all right, wait a minute, I'm retired. Uh, you know, right. I don't want to get back into this again <laughs> right away. So, you know, I kind of had to back off on the front office stuff and just focus solely on the broadcasting stuff. And it's been great. Um, you know, I enjoy doing the broadcasting. It keeps me around the game. It keeps me paying attention. Um you know, I still like the game and, and I like watching it. But, you know, it, when you – Matt can attest to when, when, you know, when you have kids at home, the, the, the likelihood of plopping down on a couch and watching a baseball game for nine innings, it's just not happening. You know, you, I'll, I'll watch two or three and then, hey, let's go do homework. Or, and then I'll watch another two or three and then it's time for dinner. So, I mean, it's – you know, it, that's, that part of it is hard to do. So, being able to follow the game the way maybe I would like to – is a little bit harder, but doing the broadcasting enables me to do that because I'm around it more. I, I I see more guys now. I'm forced to do, you know, a little bit more research on, hey, you know, what, what this, what's this team doing? Where do they compare the, to other teams in baseball? So a little bit more of that stuff. But, um, you know, I think eventually I would love to get into an ownership situation. You know, I, I had a group and I was in on that Marlins thing and, um, 
probably in hindsight it was a good thing that that it didn't work <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, although I will say that much of the things that Derek Jeter has done down there were all things that my guys were talking about having to do. So, um, but yeah, I think at some point in time, if if an opportunity came up um, to to get in on the, on the ownership side of things, I would I would love to do that. Um, so we'll we'll see if anything comes up. Well, I think um, uh, one of the things that we wanted to get your – just share a memory of, there were probably a couple things. I think one would be playoffs again. Obviously, we got a lot to choose from. You've got a lot to choose from. from but what, what is it – what is the biggest thing that you think about when we go into this playoff season? Obviously, we've already played a bunch of games. You've pitched a ton, over 200-plus innings. Now you go into October, which we all called another mini season. So what is, what, what is the big memory that you have of if you were to kind of encapsulate the playoffs, what's the big thing that comes to your mind about this next season? I think the, the, the thing that I was probably most surprised by was you having been through the 162 games, 30-plus starts, 200-some-odd innings, when October 1st rolled around and you were in the playoffs, how remarkably fresh you felt. <laughs> you know, exactly. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. You know, the adrenaline of that time of year, it just, it takes everything away. And, and you know, your, your aches and pains become far less than they were. Your pains become far less than they were. Uh, and it's just about the excitement of going to the ballpark every day. I mean, you, you know, you, you would, and I know for me, You'd be home or on the road, and you're just looking at your watch, and it's like, all right, I can't go to the ballpark this early. I mean, you're just <laughs> chomping at the bit to get there and be a part of it and, and knowing the excitement in the environment. So it's it's just a it's a different time. Um, it's so exciting, and the adrenaline of it all. I remember, my you know, the first year, 91, when we went to the playoffs and ended up going into the World Series and losing in, in seven games in the World Series. It legitimately took me a week to 10 days to recover from that. I mean, I was emotionally mm. exhausted, um, let alone the physical side of things. I think that, you know, after that point in time, you start to realize, oh, my God, my arm hurts or this hurts or that hurts, <laughs> you know, because you kind of come down from it all. But I was. I mean, I was emotionally exhausted for for a week or 10 days after that, trying to trying to catch back up. And, um, you know, you'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know for – for me, the first time I went to the playoffs, I had already had I already had three years in the big league, so I kind of knew what the big league season was about. Um, you know, we had some guys that that was their first year, um, and it it's going to be interesting to watch some of these guys. Um, you know, say Newcomb and and Ozzy and Acuna, who are used to you know it's August what 29th or eighth or something like that. They're used to their season being over in in a couple of days. Uh, now all of a sudden you got another month to go, and oh by the way, it's the biggest grind of the year. Yeah, <laughs> even if they've had a full season, yeah. a lot of these guys, they, their pitchers, they're shutting down. Yeah, they're shutting down. I mean, our our innings leaders, 135 innings. Yeah. yeah. So these guys have coming up through the minor leagues. I mean, they're they're used to being shut down. Yes. And saying, okay, we don't want you to pitch anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that side of it'll be interesting to see how it will will all be managed. I suspect they'll all be just fine because of the adrenaline and the excitement of it all. But. Um, you know that that first go round was 
that was that was a lot of fun. The the next, I mean, because then you guys go back the next year and make a almost get there again in '93. Having gone through it, and you said you were emotionally, you know, just done there for for ten days or so afterward. Having gone through it once, did that make it much much easier to deal with the second and third time around, it, subsequent times? It does because you get used to what to expect. Um, you know, it's funny you, you'll have, you know, when people when you get to the postseason, everybody tries to. You know, look at matchups and who's favored, who's not, and it's well. This team's more of a veteran team. Yeah, but this team's younger and they got talent. I mean, you look. You don't. You'd, you'd rather have talent over over experience any day of the week. But having said that, there's something to be said for having exper- playoff experience. And and it's not only just going out there and playing the game. It's managing everything off the field because you've got a lot of demands. You know, it's hard when you're trying to get tickets for family and friends and you're trying to get family in town and then get maybe family on the road and getting hotel room. I mean, <laughs> it's not like the regular season where you're just showing up and playing your game. I mean, there's there's more to it. Um, and then there's the psychological side of going out there playing the game, knowing that, hey, if I go 0 for 4 today and leave four guys on base in August – I get to play again tomorrow. Nobody cares. Well, if you do that in a playoff game, there's there's a little bit different consequences. You know, same as you going out there to pitch. Well, man, if I have a bad game today, well, you know, I get I'll go back out there in five days and turn things around. Well, you have a bad game in game one of your series. All right, that's a little bit. So you know, so the ramifications of what goes on in the playoffs, obviously everything's magnified. You know, mistakes are more magnified. Losses are more magnified. Um, and it takes it takes some doing to learn how to deal with that, you know, because I always likened it to, you know, when a guy get caught, gets called up from the minor leagues, what, what's the, particularly a pitcher, but, you know, most guys in general, what do you, what's the one thing everybody says to him? Hey, just keep doing what you've been doing to get here. It's going to be good enough. Well, nobody trusts that, you know. <laughs> right. You go right. out there on the mound and you're like, no, I, I, I can't be on the outside corner. i got to be on the black. My curveball can't be good. It's got to be nasty, you know. And, and it, it's hard not to feel that way because every step of the way in the minor leagues, you, you recognize that, okay, these guys are better. They're not chasing that pitch here like they did down there. They're not missing that pitch here like they did down there. Well, Okay, these guys really are going to be that way. So you you feel like you've got to be so much better, and what you end up doing is you get out of your element. You start trying to do things you're not good at or you're not capable of doing, and I find that to be a lot of what the mistakes that young guys do in the playoffs. They start trying to do things that they didn't do all year long. You know, they're trying to make pitches that that they're not capable of making or, you know, hitters have different approaches now because – you know, okay, I want to hit a home run or I want to do this, right? And, and and you get out of that element of, okay, what's what's my program? What's my approach? What have I been doing all year long? Let's go with it. The the magnification of what's going on takes a lot of guys out of that and, and the success rate becomes a little bit tougher to come by. And you carry a lot of baggage from the season, good or bad. I mean, these guys you've been battling, especially with interleague play, you've had – have at bats or you have innings against everybody that you're typically playing and if it's in your division you know if the wild card's in your division or if you're playing you know you go into the national league championship you've already been playing and you know, we went against the reds and you're playing the rockies and all you you play against those guys and so you have this emotional baggage they think i've got to do something different this guy hit me now i'm in a crucial situation i've got to do so there's that that kind of stuff going on that you really that doesn't always show yeah. 
So you're trying to change something, uh, yep. trying to – got yeah. a new game plan. Yeah, yeah. no, it's the, yeah, it's the, the Jedi mind games that you play yeah. with yourself that are generally not good, right? It, it's right. – you know, you're, you're right. I mean, it's, okay, well, I pitch against these guys during the year – and I know it had success, but man, this is the playoffs now. I gotta, I gotta do something a little bit different. Well, why? they're going to be expecting, right? This. You know, and it's kind of, and that's another good point. What, you, what you tend to see guys fight in a playoff atmosphere, particularly with the pitchers, is, oh, well, I pitched against these guys in game one, and I'm going in game four. I got to do something different. No, you don't. You know, I mean, to me, that that's something that that you know, I think guys make mistakes on is, okay. You know, you should know what you do well, what the foundation of your game is. And if you go out there and pitch your game against the team and you beat them, well, do it again. And if you do it again, you're going to beat them again. Why go out there and, and start trying to do things that you don't normally do and take yourself out of your game before they've shown you they can beat you at your game? You know, and, and to me, that was always the thing. If I had a good game against somebody, okay. If I'm seeing you again right away, I'm going out there with the same game plan. I'm not tricking you, but I'm going to find out if I'm as good at my game plan as I was the last time. And if you're beating me at it, now I'll change something or I'll try to dif- do some different sequences or, you know, maybe pitch backwards and pitch inside a little bit more. But until you show me you're, you're going to beat me, I'm not just going to make adjustments for the make- sake of making adjustments because you're seeing me again. I mean, and, and I think – that's another thing that a lot of guys fight, particularly in a postseason atmosphere. Now, as somebody that, that's just a fan, and I mean, you guys played, so when you guys talk about makeup, and we were talking about Soroka and Wilson earlier, is that really what you're referring to, the makeup? It's the, the mindset that a guy has on the mound? When we talk about makeup, is that basically the definition? I think that's a big part of it. I mean, makeup is, uh, yes, it's having a good understanding of what you do, right, what your strengths are as a pitcher. Uh, because, again, you can – there's no secrets in today's game. Um, video is there on everybody, uh, and I know it's different when you get in the box or get on the mound and see somebody live for the first time. But you know, there there are no secrets anymore. You know, in our in our day, a lot of it was advanced scouts and and written scouting reports. And okay, this guy's good at this or this guy's good at that. Now it's up to you to go out there and find out. And and you know, there's still a lot of that, but. I think it's it's the part of the makeup is is number one understanding okay who am I, and what am I good at? What's the foundation of my game plan that makes me successful? I don't care what that guy standing in the batter's box is good or bad at. I want to know what I'm good at, and I want to make that the focal point of this one-on-one confrontation. Beyond that, makeup is okay. I just made a bad pitch and I gave up a double. Am I carrying that with me back on the mound when I start to make a pitch to this next guy? Or, or do I have the mentality to be able to put that aside? That, that's over and done with. I can't do anything about that. i got to get this guy out. You know? Or you make a good pitch, and which I was certainly guilty of in my career at times. You make a good pitch and you don't get a call. Are you making faces at the umpire? Are you walking around the mound? What are you doing? You know? So it's all that stuff. You know? and, 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 and again, it's... It's all part of understanding what you do, understanding how to put a bad pitch behind you, um, understanding that, hey, I just threw a really good curveball to that guy and got strike two. I want to strike him out with that curveball, but I'm not going to try and throw it any better than the one I just threw, which is a mistake a lot of guys make. You know, so all, it's all, all of that is just understanding you and the game and managing, quite honestly, managing your emotions during the course of the game because – there are very few times you're going to go out there and it's smooth sailing. You're, you're going to have, 
You know, I remember Tom Seaver used to say, you know, I don't, I don't care how good you pitch, that other team's going to have at least two opportunities to score. So what are you going to do in those two opportunities? You know, and, and, and all that is, you know, in your mind, managing your emotions as to what's going on and, and you know, what are you doing, good or bad. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, even which I know I was really good at and it was it was at the urging of one of my minor league coaches, um, even when you're not on your game and you have no idea what you're doing out there, act like you do, you know. And and it, it's it's not an easy thing to do, but the guys who do it, uh, those are the guys that have great makeup. Thank you so much. Happy Tom. to really do it. Appreciate Thanks it. For having me. Very good. Yep. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.